This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Today on Shareable, my guest is Sarah Sirani. She is the co-founder of She is the Universe, a project to empower teenage girls globally. But, oh man, she is so much more than that. This conversation with Sarah is so deeply human. We talk a lot about the concept of vulnerability, both the real act of being vulnerable, but also the performance of being vulnerable. And we explore what the difference is between those two things. I loved every second of talking to Sarah, and I think you'll enjoy every second of listening to it, which obviously makes this episode Shareable. Today on Shareable, I'm excited to share this conversation with my guest, Sarah Sarani. Sarah, welcome to Shareable. Now, for my listeners who are not familiar with you, what are a few of the most important things for someone to know about you? Oh, I love that. Okay, so I love trees, people, and sunflowers in no particular order. That's fantastic. In no particular <laughs> order. There are days where sunflowers do rank more highly than people. It really yeah, depends. sometimes. <laughs> it depends on the time of day. Have I had enough sleep or enough coffee? Have I taken my meds? Um, well, welcome to the, to the show. I know we had a little bit of a like back and forth to get this thing scheduled. I want to say for the listeners, you'll notice that Sarah's audio is absolutely majestic and that's due to a brand new microphone that she picked up. Indeed. Thanks for the Rex, Jack. Yeah. Jack, <laughs> Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were doing like a little rhyme scheme there. Uh, well, I appreciate it because um, you, you sound great. So uh, I want to start off so that we get a sense of what's deep in your soul. What is the dent you wish to make in the universe? What are you trying to do here? And I don't mean unshareable. I mean in the universe. Yeah, I think that I mean, I recently started watching the show called The Universe that's been making me reflect on this particularly exactly. And I think more than anything, I think that we all want to feel seen, heard, and loved. Um, and I think sometimes that people think that has to be in grand ways or big ways so people feel that way. But it doesn't have to be. It can be in the simple things. And so I think my goal in that way, the dent I hope to make, is to make people who I cross paths with feel a little bit more seen, heard, or loved. That's fantastic. I'm going to relate it to something that I was recently talking about literally today. And it, uh, I, I feel like it's relevant, which is that I work a lot with organizations that are trying to work on marketing. And so often they plan these big ideas. They want to talk to me about this big, grand, creative idea. And what I usually will try to have them reflect on is like, how many people right now do you have in your network that actually already care about you that you're not paying attention to? Like just the people that are already responding to your newsletter or the people that are clicking on your website and reading your blog or that are every once in a while like listening to your podcast or whatever it might be, the things that you're already doing. How many of those people are you not just reaching out to and being like, hey, I'd like to get to know you because we so often want to be in lights. We want, you know, we want everyone to call out our name and to, to tattoo their our brand on their arms. 
but sometimes it's just little things. And I think going even deeper than just marketing, which is selling more stuff, whatever, I think you make a good point that so often it's little things that can make such a big difference. When, when I think about like my relationship and I think about, you know, my, either my, my relationship at home or relationship with friends, it's often the little things that make such a big difference. I want to tell you about one thing I'm doing and then, uh, just want to reflect on that. But for people's birthdays, I've started deciding I'm going to send them video messages. And the reason I'm doing that is because calls take up their time and they may not have it and it's interrupting them. And a text is kind of impersonal. But a video is something they could save. It's got my personality embedded in it. And I feel like it's a personal way of just giving something a little cheer, giving somebody a little cheer on their birthday. Hmm. I love that, Jeff. I really like that. I feel like that's a great, I'm a letter writer and love it. I feel I wish like I had it's, the patience. I, I think it's not even, it's about patience, but it's also about, I feel like it's just trusting in something greater than you, which is yeah. the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. And... <laughs> It's you never really know if it'll get there and they really don't know if it'll get to you. And the yeah. thing with letters is that you don't, there's no pressure to respond, right? Because you have to have an envelope, a letter, a stamp, you have to write something down, you have to have someone's address. And so there's so many different parts about this, but it's so exciting to get one that isn't a bill that you have to pay or some deductible that you, you know, it's just, it makes the world's feel a little bit smaller, but a little bit more personal because I feel like we can forget that aspect of connection and like more connectivity does not mean more connection. hundred percent. I don't think I've ever thrown out a personally written note that I've gotten when somebody sends, when they sit down and write a note. And I think part of it is for me, the idea of sitting down and writing with my hand and like, a, like I'm, I'm miming for you right now, like if doing <laughs> that, like typing, sure putting my raw thoughts out there, vulnerable, like true, honest, authentic thoughts in a, in a note to someone via an email feels very comfortable to me, but to write and let them see my awful handwriting or my mistakes or like the illegible word that I'm trying to make legible, that process feels so terrifying to me. So when somebody does that for me, that they sat down, they thought out what they were going to write and they wrote it in a thing and sent it to me, and, and did the stamp and, and remembered to go outside and put it in the mail, that whole thing, it's like there's just a stack of effort that went into that and it feels so much me more meaningful than the email. Exactly. And the thing about that as well is like you, it sometimes requires a level of bravery and vulnerability to actually share how you feel with someone, you know, how much you appreciate a friendship or what, you know, someone did for you at one point, but it never, it's, the cost is so low in the sense that like the reason I say this is because I remember when I was growing up I was in high school so I was in 10th grade 9th grade maybe I was 15 years old and I had this friend who I looked up to a lot who was a couple years older than I and he was he had been battling cancer right and his name was James and the way that his like the way that um like who James was for me was like he had been battling cancer since he was 13 and every year the doctors would be like, oh, this is James's last year. And then he'd get on some new treatment and then he'd still be there, right? So this was happening for like five or six, seven, seven years at that point, almost eight years at that point. And so even though James had terminal cancer, it never seemed like that in my head because every year he would always have another chance. So I remember it was one day and we had a, a mentor, Miss um, Calhoun, who was who was a mentor for both of us. And she messaged me and she's like, hey, Sarah, like just letting you know, um, James, like he got off, he got off the, like the chemotherapy. And 
So if there's anything you would like to say to him, now is the time. I was like, great. I was a letter writer then too. So I like wrote this long letter to James, right? About everything and what he meant to me. And I put it in an envelope and I stamped it. And I put it on this little bench right by our door, right? And the intention was like, when I leave, I'll mail it. When I leave, I'll mail it. When I leave, I'll mail it. Like two weeks passed by and this letter was just on the bench. Then finally, my mom is like, you know, um, can you mail these other things at the post office? And I was like, perfect. I had to mail this letter to James anyways. So I put all the letters in my backpack and my intention is that after school, I'm going to go by the post office and mail everything. That day... I got a letter from his sister saying that he passed away. That day, right, that day I decided to mail the letter into the mailbox, I got this message, this text message. And I was heartbroken, you know, and not only because I didn't get to say this, but also because I had written everything down and and done everything, but I was too, like, And I want to blame it on like the logistics of like, oh, maybe I didn't put it in the mailbox fast enough. But honestly, part of me was probably also scared of the vulnerability of sharing this with someone and being like, what if they think I'm so weird writing a four page letter? You know, like what if they don't see me as a friend the same way I see them? Right. And so I think this taught me more than anything is like since that moment, like I'm not going to hold back on telling people how I feel about them. Um. And if I care about someone, I'm going to tell them, even though I still struggle with that with my family at times, because there's some weird thing where you're like, I don't know why I can't be as vulnerable. But it's this um, still like you never know when something's going to happen. You never know when something's going to happen. That is a visceral story. Like anyone listening, like if you don't feel that like in your bones, like I, I can't even imagine the the what was going through your mind that day, the following day. And also, I really appreciate that you painted it. It wasn't just a matter of procrastination or logistics. You know, for me, like having ADHD, like some sometimes it's the little things that Mm -hmm. are so difficult. I have this saying I repeat to myself, don't put it down, put it away. Don't put it down, put it away. Because it's it's so easy to put a thing down, forget about it for several days. And then like a month goes by and you're like, I meant to mail that letter. And in this case, it's this connection. It's this moment where you get to tell someone what they mean to you and you know, the clock's kind of ticking, kind of ticking. And I can imagine that's such a um, transformational moment in your life. How have you kind of briefly touched on how you've tried to take that lesson into how you interact with your family? How has it changed you otherwise? Has it influenced the type of work you do, the career path you took, the way you interact with uh, colleagues, network? Like how broadly has the implication of of that moment or, or really any of the other kind of lessons like that um, shifted how, how you've kind of altered the course of your life. Yeah, Jeff, I think you said it too, right? You were like that anyone listening, you would feel it in your bones. And I felt it in my bones. And I took that with me everywhere. Like, you know how, um, <laughs> like the stories of people when they have these letters folded up in their pocket and they keep it in their pocket for decades, like, that story is something that I still carry so close to me. And it affects me in the way that like, I um, I love a lot of things, right? And I love the work that I do. Um, and I work in public health and education and girls empowerment um, and leadership development. And in all of those spaces, I, the number one thing that I prioritize bringing is just vulnerability and authenticity. 
Um, and how can you take something even deeper, right? And not just for the purpose of like my own curiosity, right? You know, but also in the context of me connecting more to our shared humanity. Um, and this is coming from a place where in these different fields, right? Like I've worked in like maternal mortality and working in maternal and child mortality in East Africa, right? And it's very intense, right? Because in that it's like the, you're like working at the, you know, the, the little, the little point of intersection between life and death, right? Where you see so much suffering and empathy. And in those spaces, you see the value that it brings if there's so much that's out of your control, so much, right? Especially when if an area has, you know, lower access to healthcare and the medications aren't there, the hospital doesn't have enough beds. It doesn't change. It may not change fate, right? Um, if you deeply listen to someone or open a space for someone, but it can still change someone's world if you do that, right? Um, and the same with the environment and the same with like working with youth and not just youth, like working with, I've worked with leaders from all over the world um, who have had businesses to having startups to like being so coldened by the world or hardened by the world because they have to, to the point that the masks that they wear sometimes have been fused to their skin because they've had to wear them so long. And, and it's heartbreaking <laughs> for everyone involved, right? To see someone who's had to be someone else to keep going or to lead people or do whatever they have to do. And in those moments, I feel like it's all the more important to be like, hey, you know, not just how are you, but who are you? Like, who are you? Like, I don't care about what you've done. <laughs> like, amazing, great. You know, you run this country, cool. Great job. But who are you behind that? Like, what are your insecurities and what are you grieving? And what are you struggling with? Because no matter how amazing everything looks on the outside, everyone's dealing with something, right? And that you can bring anywhere. Like, yes, I work more in leadership and empowerment. And so that comes more naturally. But bringing that, like, magic to anything, you can bring everywhere. You can work in a corporate environment and be real. Like... It doesn't matter where you are, you can still bring this to every environment you're in. And I and I try to. There's so much work out there right now about vulnerability and empathy. These are like two. So I used to ask this question, what do you think is the most important skill of the future, the most important, you know, trait in leaders of the future? And by a large margin, people would say empathy. So I dropped the question because I was like, everyone would say it, right? So I'm a big believer in empathy, wrote a whole book. It's a core tenant of it in lovable leadership. And vulnerability, you know, Brene Brown really made that pop on the map. And I think what's come of it, I want to get your reaction to this, is that I see that there's sort of authenticity as a service, vulnerability as a tactic, empathy as uh, a strategy. And I'm wondering if you can help to differentiate seeing vulnerability through the lens of the way you're talking about it and the value of vulnerability and empathy and care and all of the things that you've touched on outside of the lens of how does that then affect the bottom line? How does that then get us to better 
results next quarter? How does that help us to retain our employees so that we don't have to hire someone new and retrain them? But the thing that's underneath that, that you're touching, you're talking about, but I want you to be explicit about it if you could to help to distinguish between vulnerability as a tactic and vulnerability. Yeah. I think one other layer I would add to that is honesty, not just vulnerability, but also honesty. And I feel like that isn't talked about enough, right? Because right now vulnerability and empathy and it's, it's they're buzzwords, right? Like they're, and I love them. I love these buzzwords, but they're buzzwords. And you can be, you can show vulnerability without being vulnerable, right? Those are two completely different things, right? Can you can you say more about that? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think that I mean like, I mean in the context of when we're, you were talking about the, the bottom line, for example, is you can have a boss sh- uh, share something personal and as a result make it seem like they're showing vulnerability, but that's very different from being vulnerable. Mm. And I think that it's different because vulnerability also requires true vulnerability requires this level of honesty with yourself. And it's not always pretty, right? Because I think that when people talk about vulnerability and empathy in the professional environment, it's glamorized. It's Mm -hmm. sexy. It's wow, this person's so vulnerable. Whoa, compassionate leadership. Mm." But like, it's not always like that, right? There's this level of, I think true vulnerability also has this level of, um, a bit of egoless, like egoless, not like lacking ego. Mm-hmm. Um, I make up words sometimes, so I'm not sure if <laughs> it's okay. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna say that that's a word, and if it's egoless. not, I'm putting it on Urban Dictionary after this episode. Amazing. So egoless is, um, you know, kind of this thing where it, it's not about you, and I think that if you're truly, it's like the feeling of grief. Right. And I think grief is something I wish we talked about more as a society, because I think we run away from grief. Right. So vulnerability could be admitting that someone in your family passed away and you're having a hard time showing vulnerability. Right. But I think true vulnerability is actually showing up as you are in that process. And I think that's hard because I think some people aren't ready to accept that because it's scary. And I think when someone's truly vulnerable, it can be intimidating and push away people who haven't tapped in to their own depth yet and who haven't been truly honest with themselves. So I think that's hard, you know, like if you break down, you know, and like this is coming from a place where six, six or so months ago, I like had been, I've been working through uh, PTSD, right? And like, which I find fascinating. I love reading about trauma and intergenerational trauma. And this is not intergenerational, but I love reading about trauma and the body. And there are so many parts of different traumas or PTSD where you have your 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 somatic response is so irrational sometimes, right? So you're walking and you can break down crying and you don't know why. And I've been with friends who like really don't know how to respond to that and they feel super uncomfortable. And they don't reach out afterwards. And I've also been with friends who, when that happens, and of course they don't know what's going on. I don't even know what's going on. They can hold that and carry that because they've tapped into themselves as well and know that 
not all feelings have to be rationalized and make sense, right? And of course, like in that context, you can't, it's it's hard, right? Like it's hard. But I think honesty and being honest with yourself as you are, when you are, is a big component of that true versus showed vulnerability. I think another component of it that occurred to me when you made the distinction between showing vulnerability and being vulnerable was a phrase popped in my head, guarded guarded vulnerability. So like, it's like you are kind of half stepping your way into vulnerable. Because when I think about the concept of being vulnerable, I immediately picture like an animal on its back, basically being like my belly is exposed. Like you literally could harm me. I am showing you everything and I am submitting that you will not with this information. It is a trusted um, event that is happening. You are trusting that you are you are leaving an opening. You are leaving a vulnerability mm-hmm. that could be capitalized on to your detriment. And so much of the performance of vulnerability in corporate seems to be instead an act of sharing something that would appear to be deeply personal, but isn't actually of any consequence to cause a vulnerability that could be capitalized on to a detriment. So I think the way that you phrased it of showing vulnerability versus being vulnerable, really, I think to me illuminated sort of a difference of what it's about. And it's and the honesty portion of it is this sense of being aware of yourself of where you actually are, even if that means you don't know where you are. And then in, I think in some cases it also has to, there's an idea that I'm currently working on for a blog post um, called systemic self-awareness probably be out by the time that this episode goes live. But the idea of you are not only, you have to be knowledgeable of yourself and what's going on with you, but also who you are in the context of the, the people that you are among. If you are the boss Mm -hmm. and you're being vulnerable, that's a different act than if you are the lowest paid employee and you're being vulnerable, right? The, the, The position in the system that you occupy changes that vulnerable act. So anyway, fascinating whole world to get into. And I guess what I'm looking to try and understand in terms of the work that you do and the impact it's making for you is, you know, you mentioned in the dent you're trying to make in the world you know, helping people be seen, uh, helping them be acknowledged and, and, you know, giving them these moments. Um, how do you, how do you anticipate the trajectory of your career and the work that you're doing? How do you, where do you see it making change, making impact, helping people? Where are you trying to go with this conversation around vulnerability, around honesty, around helping people be seen? What, where do you see that going? Yeah, and so I think that's a great question that I'm still trying to <laughs> figure out the answer to. Um, but I think one big way that I see it is, especially in the context of leadership development and empowerment, um, we still have a very, as a society, I think the way that we think about leadership um, is is still a bit, it's not only that it's linked with more masculine leadership, but also it's very you know, hierarchical. And I think it lacks the human component, honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more about showing vulnerability than actually being vulnerable and taking a risk. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a leader, leaders who are always taking risks, then, you know, what's going to happen? And there's uncertainty. But I feel like we live in a world of uncertainty, right? And I think the value in, you know, working with vulnerability and working with empowerment um, and working with trying to, you know, 
support people and guide people into tapping into their superpowers is actually that it's like this ripple effect, right? And I really believe in the ripple effect in the sense that, and I'll share this through a story that there's this this, um, teen girl who's part of our program for She is the Universe. And she, during the pandemic, her name is Nikauri, and she built this little school in her, her backyard in the Dominican Republic, in this small community she's in. And 10 people, like 10 little kids came to this school. And she did all this work to build this school, right? Like build, like, you know, get the chairs, the tables. And people would criticize her and be like, why are you doing all this for 10 kids? Like you're spending so much time and energy working to work with these 10 kids. And we were talking one day in in like, you know, outside her house. And she's like, people don't get it. It's not just 10 kids. Because each of those 10 kids will educate 10 more kids. And they'll educate 10 more kids. And before you know it, we've educated a generation. And that's what I think the same thing about with like, you know, teaching and facilitating programs and workshops on vulnerability and empowerment and storytelling, right? In the context of leadership development is with every person who feels more comfortable. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Not more comfortable. I'm going to say more brave. Um, and I think bravery is reserved for those who are most afraid. So those who are scared of their vulnerability, scared of taking a risk, and yet feel brave enough to tap into that part of themselves to better support others and their teams, those people will inspire those 10 people on their teams or 10 people in their community, and they'll inspire 10 other people in their community. And before you know it, you're changing the way a generation thinks about people. And working together. You know what's remarkable about that, about that is, as you mentioned, the 10 kids um, would immediately jump to mind for me as I'm wondering how many of those people that are criticizing are parents. Because I'm a parent, I have two kids. Mm. And when I look at my kids, I can't imagine not pouring everything I have into each, to, to both of them. That's just two of them. And when I only had one, I thought, I'm going to, everything I know, everything I have, everything that I am, I am going to pour into you in hopes that you have a good life and you make the world around you better. And I can't imagine too many parents who don't feel something that's similar. Maybe the language is a little bit different. Maybe the objectives are different. Maybe they want them to be successful in one very linear kind of way. But you put all of this energy into this one being, right? And then you think about the 10 kids in this class, right? And then we go back to what we started about talking about when I was talking about the marketing example, right? You've got 100 people on your list that actually care, but you only want to go viral. It's this idea that we kind of overlook the individual contributions that we could make, the the, the big uh, differences we can make in individuals' life because we want mass appeal. We want to be able, but we, we forget that in order to get there, you actually have to start that exponential curve by touching individual people and, and changing them and making an impact on them so that they tell somebody else. That's the way you get there. And everybody wants to be famous. That seems to be like the real kicker, but not as many people care enough to be influential and impactful they're more interested in the the accolades that come with being impactful and influential than they are with actually being impactful and influential i think right and i think even with that i think what i've realized working especially with leadership development is that the more famous and you know famous that you are the more likes that you have the more people that are following your twitter Sometimes the thicker the mask you have to put on, right? And how it's harder to be vulnerable 
Well, because also the more generic your content up. has to be. Like, so, so you <laughs> put messages out there. Now you have to appeal to two million people. Whereas before, you could serve, you know, your your small community of maybe a thousand, and those thousand people had something in common. And now you've got all of these people. You know, I I um I'm I, I am a big fan of Simon Sinek's work. Um, like I, I liked his books. I, I thought, you know, uh, leaders eat last is a very good book. I enjoyed it. It, you know, aligns with my philosophy, but I watch him on LinkedIn and he'll put out these pithy fortune cookie type statements. And I'm kind of like, I mean, that's what happens when you reach that level of fame and appeal. And you can't really actually say something that requires you to take real risk without potentially sacrificing something. So again, to your point, you, you thicken up that facade, you put on a thicker mask and you stop taking those risks. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that makes it even harder because something that's been super alive for me is ah, two things. But the first thing is um, there's this quote that I love a lot by Rumi that was also featured as like a theme point in um, Mrs. Marvel um, was uh, what you seek is seeking you, right? And I think that, I mean, again, it sounds like a very... It's only a couple words, this quote, but I think it's so powerful because often the things that were, this whole thing about this divine reciprocity in the world and the things that we're looking for are also looking for us, but so often our eyes are closed, right? And so in the context of what you mentioned about how we want fame and we want, you know, more likes and these 2 million followers because 1,000 is just not enough, but what are we actually looking for? You know, what are we looking for? Like if we're really... <laughs> honest with ourselves right like going back to that honesty like what are we actually looking for with this like maybe we're lonely that's okay to admit you know there's a quote about how the crazy thing about loneliness is that we're all feeling it all the time at the same time so it's like if it's these things like whether it's loneliness or need for validation or attention which are all very human things very human needs what are we seeking and turns out other people are seeking the same thing too right yeah so instead of so how can we reconcile these things without all of this you know putting ourselves out there because you're not happier with two million followers because then you want that there to be three million so it's like that's not it you know yeah that's not the solution i don't know i feel like there's also um kind of a a a, a movement that is simultaneously moving parallel and perpendicular to it which is the movement of the movement of like stoicism right and to like mm. be like kind of emotionally detached from things and having this um you know coolness to things and 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 to a certain extent there's like um, a bit of a tie-in um to sort of like Taoism of just kind of like letting go and like letting things happen and i think that there's obviously a value in kind of looking at things from a lot of different perspectives, but I think that we celebrate this sort of emotionless uh, response to things when in some cases, a lot of what we're talking about here is actually leaning into these emotions that bind us and that connect us and that are real and not pretending that like the death of someone that's important to us was like no big deal and didn't affect us. I think that there is um, a cultural element to this that we are reinforcing a certain perspective that may cause us to not connect with one another and to not reveal those emotions because they're seen as weakness in the, in the, you know, uh, context of this kind of cultural norms that we're setting. Right. And I, I, uh, I call this leaning into the color 
um just because i feel like sometimes when we have these live these lives where we try not to like get you know like oh you're experiencing grief let it you know like like detach and it's like okay yes you know like and also what if you let it wash over you you know because you cannot you cannot you know like detach from the grief and attach to the joy right like when you have like you have to like part of it is like you have these two ends of things and in order to feel one you have to feel the other it's not an either or thing and like I lived the point in the middle where like you can't really feel too much of anything and it's like you're living in pastels because the happies aren't as happy and the joy isn't as joyful but the sad isn't as sad but what is what if we lean into the color I am so with this. And by the way, I have a GIF I'm going to flash on the screen for you right here. So I don't know if you've seen Inside Out, but for the listeners, I'm flashing the Inside Out Sad Girl GIF. But the idea very much is this, that like you cannot experience the joys without the sadness. You can't experience the full range of emotions if you cut off some of it. And I, too, had that experience um, in my early 20s where I had a traumatic event happen to me uh, late in high school, like going into college. And I basically just kind of muted a lot of the different things. So I didn't experience like true elation and joy because I was unwilling to lean into the sadness of the moment. And then of course 9-11 happened. And like, so like there was just this string of different things where I just was very like numb and in that sort of limited range. Uh, and I'm a hundred percent behind you on that. I think we do need to culturally uh, lean into those emotions, I think at home and at work. Um, and I think to do that is, um, is counter to, to the values that we're currently putting out there. So it's going to take a really big effort on people's part to create environments where it's safe to do that. Um, and I think leadership development is a great place to be, to be starting with that and to be doing that. Um, so I want to, as we're running close to our time, I want to kind of wrap on a couple kind of practical ways that people can take some of these ideas of, being vulnerable, not just showing vulnerability and showing up as leaders, taking to heart some of these ideas to create an environment that's safer for people to really lean into the color, as you said. So what are some of the things that, you know, as you work with leaders that you are seeing be really useful, not just for them, but for the environments that they're creating? What are some of those things that you would advise them uh, to think about, to maybe start practicing, start doing? Mm, Okay. I think one simple thing that it's going to sound really simple, but I've seen the value in it, is asking yourself why over and over and over again. And not for different things necessarily, but just the same thing, you know? So for example, like kind of what we, the little thought experiment did earlier with like, oh, I want 2 million Twitter followers or I want more people. Why? You know, like why? Why do I want that? Oh, okay. It's because like it'll show that, you know, my content's good, but why? Why is that important to me? Oh, okay, because I, you know, like thinking my content's important. Why? Oh, okay, because sometimes I haven't gotten that. I have imposter syndrome and I haven't gotten that validation in other ways. Why? Right? And I think continuing to ask yourself why and why and why and why is really hard, yeah. right? So it sounds really simple, but it's actually being honest with yourself is really hard. But even then I encourage people to to do that but to write it down right not just do it in their head actually diagram it out ask themselves why keep asking themselves why 
And to tap more into that vulnerability, kind of what we're talking to about the colors, about the highs and lows, ask people, I love to ask people what color they're feeling, right? And it's it seems like a silly question because, you know, I can say orange and you can say orange and our oranges mean something completely different, but it requires us to explain ourselves a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I love right? that. And I feel like... um just to interject that that's an that's an exercise that for those if you find it difficult might make sense to either work with a coach to work with a Mm -hmm. therapist to work with a close friend because it's sometimes difficult to play the role of like interviewer and interviewee and when you're trying to play both for yourself it can be very difficult some people it comes naturally others have challenges with it so having someone that you trust that can hold a safe space for you to be able to like dig into one of those things you may find something totally benign you might do the you know i do an exercise called the five whys with clients when i'm trying to get to the root of a problem Um, i can't remember where that originated but i read it somewhere but i like that because after you go through those five levels you get pretty close to the the origin of where that thing is coming from you might go a few more or a few less but i love that exercise but having someone who can hold that space for you i think is can be really really uh, a powerful part of doing that exercise oh absolutely i think that's i mean if you can find someone to hold that space for you like you mentioned with a therapist or in a group setting um that it is a complete game changer because you learn more by listening and holding space for others as well yeah um, do you have any others that you want to share of uh, things that that you would recommend leaders do? I'll, I'll give you one more that we can leave on. Oh, okay. Let me think about that. I think. Oh, okay. This is going to be um, so. One thing that I also was tapping into when I was like really numb and couldn't feel as much was listening to music, but doing nothing while you listen to that music. Because mm. so often when we consume music, or most of the time when I'm consuming music, I'm like working or like on a walk or cooking, doing different things. Find a song that means a lot to you and just sit there in your chair and close your eyes and listen to it. Or lay down on your bed and listen to it. Yeah. Or lay in the grass if it's warm and listen to it and just notice how your body feels. Yeah, I love that because it's it's um it it um I sometimes find myself doing that with all sorts of different things where like I'll be eating a sandwich right and I notice I'm eating it like mindlessly and they go you know what I'm gonna pay cl- this next bite I'm gonna pay close attention to all of the textures and all of the flavors and I'm gonna tune out all of the other thoughts that I was just saying I'm just going to experience this sandwich at this moment or you see a flower and you see flowers all the time you walk past them but you stop for a second you say you know what just for the experience of it, I'm just going to touch the petal of this flower and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to really examine it. And just for the moment or for that, that second, that minute, whatever it is. And I like it with music because it's such an experiential one and you can really sometimes truly feel it throughout your body. But the idea is just to, I think, to let go of the other things and be present in that moment and experience it. And I think tapping into that Um, my sense of it is that you can bring that same level of thoughtfulness, of mindfulness into a single conversation with one of your colleagues. You can bring it into a single moment where you realize somebody's struggling with something and you can say, you know what, instead of running from the discomfort of this conversation or the potential conflict or the this or the that, I'm just going to lean into it. I'm going to experience it. I'm not going to rush off to the next thing. I'm going to take the time with this person. I'm going to take this time with this conversation. So I really appreciate that that's sort of a, um, a, a, What's the um, the thing in Inception that like grounds you to reality? That, that was that top? totem. To- it was totem. like a top totem, totem right? <laughs> it's like a totem. It's like a it's like a, a a way to call yourself back to the moment and be in it. Um, so I really appreciate that that 
for me, music is such a powerful part of that. So I really appreciate that as a recommendation. All right. So if you had to wrap up this episode with like kind of a clear takeaway of the time we've spent together and the topics we've been able to talk about, and I would love to talk to you again on shareable. I think you're such an easy person to talk to and, uh, and I'm so in line with what you're, what you're about. But if you had to kind of sum up what we talked about and you have kind of a clear takeaway that somebody listening should say, this is, this is what I should walk away with from this episode. Like what's the moral, what's the message, what's the theme What's the clear takeaway? Oh, I think more than anything, um, it would just be asking yourself, like, what happens if you're brave enough to lean into the colors? And what does that look like for you? Because I think for everyone, it's so different. Basically, everyone has their own experiences and own backgrounds. But I think thinking just more about what that means to you, if you leaned into your color and what how that could influence your life and those around you. Ah, I love it. That is a absolutely fantastic way of closing it out. So before we go, I want to do um, something that I call the shareables, which are just, I want you to recommend a couple things to people. Uh, this is a good way for people to have things added to their reading list, things for them to listen to, things for them to watch, things so that they can go and investigate and learn. The idea here is just to share some things like we do on social media. So I'm going to ask you those, uh, and then I'm going to give you a chance to talk about yourself and where people can connect with you, and then we're going to get out of here. So here's how it goes. Uh, let's start with something that you've read that you think other people should read? Something you'd recommend that people read? I recommend Emergent Strategy by Adrian Murray Brown. Um, it's one of my favorite books, also because you don't have to read it in order. It's very experimental and interactive in how you read it, which is always exciting for me. Um, and it truly changes the way that you see the world in how everything is really interconnected. And it'll ground you back to humanity. I believe that has actually been on my Audible wish list for quite a while. So when my credits renew, I will add that. Um, it's been on there for a while. For that one, I would recommend reading the book. Okay. Just because that one, the book, the way the book works is you don't read it like page one, two, three, four. You can open up to any random page and start there. Like that's how it's written. All right. And so it's an experience to. All right. I'm going to go paperback you know, like... and remove it from my wish list. You've convinced me. All right. So to that note, then, what is something that you would recommend people listen to? Mm, so uh, Valerie Kaur is someone who I admire a lot. She's an activist and has this book called See No Stranger. She also has a TED Talk that I'd highly recommend about revolutionary love. So I would definitely check that out. I love anything with the word revolution in it. Uh, what's something you've watched that you would recommend people watch? It could be a show. It could be a TED Talk. It could be a documentary. It could be anything you want. What do you think people should watch? So inspired by our conversation and the gif that you shared earlier, I would recommend everyone to watch Inside Out. Great movie. And if they've seen it, watch it again. <laughs> yeah. I pick up something new every single time. And we always, in my house, we talk a lot about core memories. We're like, oh God, that's a core memory right there. That's going to be a core memory. Uh, good one. Um, all right. Final thing is, what's something interesting that you have learned that you just want to share with people? Something you learn and you think, oh, that's interesting and might trigger someone to go down the rabbit hole uh, that you've inspired. Oh, okay. So we were talking a bit about grief and emotions today. Um, and so one cool fact that I love is that just like humans do, elephants also grieve and mourn the loss of their loved ones. And they're known to have different funerals for friends or family members who have passed away, which I think is so beautiful. Yeah, that's wild. I yeah. didn't know that, that was a thing. All right. Well, I wanted you to take a moment uh, to share where people can get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing, find you leading the way. This is your time for unabashed self-promotion do your thing. Tell people where they can connect with you and learn about you. Thank you so much, Jeff. So I am where I'm an educator and work in leadership development and also have a nonprofit on teenage girls empowerment called She is the Universe. 
So if you know a teen girl or would like to get involved in supporting teen girls, you can find us and follow us at sheistheuniverse.org or email me at sarahserrani at sheistheuniverse.org. And you could also email me there or at sarahserrani at gmail.com to learn more about education and leadership coaching, as well as workshops about embracing your fears and your vulnerabilities. Amazing. Uh, I'm putting all that in the show notes. So that's why I took a second to get back there. Uh, all right. So last thing, I like to close out the show with gratitude. Uh, I think gratitude is a really important thing. I'm sure you're with me on that. And I like to do it in the spirit of my book, The Lovable Leader. So I want you to think about when, when I say lovable leader, I want you to think about someone from your life, someone that you have met, someone you've interacted with. And this is someone who's exhibited care. They are someone who you trusted. And they are someone who in the midst of inspiring you and challenging you to, to chase ambitious and big goals, they also made you feel really safe to do that. So I'm going to mute myself and I'm going to fade into the background here and I'm going to give you the mic. And if you're comfortable with it, say as much or as little as you want, but take a moment to speak directly to this person to directly thank them for their leadership or say anything you'd like to say to them as a lovable leader. Tell them what they did and how they made an impact on you. I feel like so many people come to mind because I feel like there's this quote about how um, we're standing on the backs of people who have come before us. And I feel like there's so many important people who just, I moved beyond tears who have supported me. Um, and yet the person that comes to mind in this moment is my friend Edia, who I, who's, who's, I feel like was one of my biggest supporters over the past few months and like there during challenging moments and always showed up, but not just showed up um, just in a supportive way, but challenged the way that I see the world and pushed me to find the lessons and things when that was the right thing in that moment. But also I remember a specific moment when it was after a hard day of work, when I was frustrated about, you know, the system and the institution and wasn't sure what to do and how to navigate this professional situation. And Edia came in and was like, you can cry. Like in this moment, I can hold space for you and you can cry and here's a brownie and you're not alone and we're in this together. Like you don't have to fight all your battles alone. You don't have to go against everything by yourself. Like we're in this together and we're here and we'll get through it. Um, and it's her leadership in that moment, not only um, her leadership in that moment, because in that moment, I felt like there's this quote that I like a lot. Um, and we connected over this quote that's by Leela Watson. And it's, if you have come to help me, then you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound in mine, then let us work together. And her leadership embodied that <laughs> physically because we were working together but also because in that moment it felt like our liberation was bound in each other's. Thank you. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that... Head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. 
or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.